Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned into episode number 311 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet known as Linux in the Ham Shack. And I am your host, Russ, K5TUX, and there's, you're supposed to follow up with... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. <laughs> and I'm Bill, NE4RD. Are you sure you're here? No, I'm not here. <laughs> Caught us off guard there, like yeah. started a little... Right into it. I know. Sorry. Didn't need to all yeah. business tonight. <laughs> need to be all like, prompt or anything. Well, usually you you say a couple of different things. So I'm just like, well, oh, sorry about that. Well, well, I just don't want to have everyone tell us about their day. <laughs> well, you usually do. Like, don't. You usually do. You usually tell everyone about my day. No, okay, how do I know what your day was? <laughs> all right, all right, we, now we're getting sidetracked. So so we're back on track because we're being sidetracked. Speaking of tracks, hey, do you want to talk about Big Boy? <laughs> Me? Well, no. We just saw a really cool train over the weekend, so there you go. Oh, yeah, I saw the video. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yep. Union Pacific Big Boy. Yep, the only one still in existence. That's Was it a 480? 4884 or 484? It's a four. It's a four six six four. Yeah, four six six four. Yeah, yeah. It's four six six four steam engine. It's no a big train. It's four eight eight four. No, it's six six four. There's only there's only six drive wheels on each side. <clears throat> Pretty sure I looked it up when we were waiting for it. You you did. And, and that's welcome how I know. to the okay. uh, <laughs> welcome, amateur train podcast. <laughs> welcome to yeah, train exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One thing for sure, it doesn't run Linux. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. It, no, it's four eight eight four. I just looked it up. It's four eight eight four. Yep. Right. Oh, called it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm wrong. So, yeah, they've had it on the news quite a bit. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been all over the everything. And the funny thing is, we didn't know anything about it until we heard it on the radio. The well, and, radio. The, and the thing is, we didn't know exactly what they were talking about. So we had to like sit there and listen for a few minutes. And how did we determine that it was a train they were talking about? They eventually said something that indicated train, but they, for the, for the longest time, some guy was talking about them uh, converting it from burning coal to burning fuel oil. And we couldn't figure out what the hell he was talking about because we didn't hear the beginning of the conversation, but eventually somehow it got around to, they they actually Uh, said something about like stopping at the depot or something. Something. And we're like, Oh crap! You thought it that's was a, a new trick. restaurant opening, right? With a little kid yeah. in the ball cap, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a new big boy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough food poisoning this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably taking care of that problem, but hopefully. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> hi. This is Linux in the Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, moving on from from very large steam trains, we're going to talk about uh, Utes on the air. And Bill's going to tell us all about Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> Yoda. Y-O-T-A, Yoda. Youth on the Air, Region 2 Camp 2020. That's right. Youth on the Air Camp is all is for already licensed amateur radio operators between the ages of 15 to 25. Have a license, but you don't know what to do next? Come to Yoda Camp, and we'll teach you all kinds of cutting-edge technology that can be used with amateur radio and connect you to other young hams and mentors in the North, Central, and South America. Already an expert, we're looking for young hams to take their knowledge to the next level and share their previous knowledge with other young hams. The camp will focus on building strong relationships with peers and mentors and developing new radio skills. Some of the activities that are planned include workshops and hands-on activities about contesting, digital VHF and UHF modes, kit building, direction finding and orienteering, uh, antenna building, satellite operation, and more. Campers will operate a special event station, Whiskey 8 Yankee, W8Y, featuring cutting-edge HF and VHF UHF radios. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's sponsored by ICOM and uh, that many only dream of having a chance to use along with a wide array of antennas. And this was, of course, was a uh, part of a press release and information over on the Yoda region 2.org site. This is something that uh, our good friend, Neil Rapp has been working on uh, tirelessly <laughs> for at least, uh, uh, at least the last eight months, maybe even more. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I've heard him talking about it for a while now and uh, they, uh, if you're uh, if you're not a younger young youngster interested in the camp, there are ways that you can help the camp by helping to donate the camp. It is an official 501c3, so uh, you know if you feel like uh, helping, uh, you know, provide uh, for uh, youngsters getting on the air and help this camp kind of grow, as many of the other uh, uh, IARU regions have their camps. Uh, you know, this would be a good opportunity to keep your money in the U.S. and uh, Help a help a good program to uh, to start the uh, the youth on the air region two camp. Good, we're always trying to get youths on the air, so this is a good thing. <clears throat> and weren't you like on Ham Talk Live like not that long ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it was it about this or just? No, no. I I think they kind of talked about it. This has been um, under wraps in aha uh-huh, wraps in your wraps. Uh, it's been <laughs> under wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Under Neil Rapp's paw, <laughs> his sandwich grabbers were right on top of it. Now, um, uh, he was, uh, he's been waiting for everything to finalize and get the official word from the, uh, you know, the, the larger sponsors and whatnot. And I believe the official announcement came out, uh, last week because I know we tried to, uh, get him on our deep dive episode and, uh, he was, uh, preempted, uh, by a release on, uh, Wednesday on, uh, I think, uh, that whatever the other show is, um, Ham something, ham ham city, ham something, something like that, and uh, no ham nation, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he had to go with that, uh, obviously, because uh, you know the sponsors kind of coincide with uh, with ham nation. So the information is out there; it's freely available. It's on the website. Check it out. Uh, I'm sure Neil's talking all about it. So uh, you know, get over there and listen to Ham Talk Live, and he'll probably even fill you in even more. Send him some texts or some tweets over to uh, at Ham Talk Live. All right, very cool. So we're going to move into some amateur radio topics for tonight. And are you, are you like with us now so you can talk about amateur satellites? Sure. Okay. I, I tried to uh, reword Bill's uh, copy here so it's readable. Happy okay. birthday to you. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Amsa Oscar 7. 
Okay, anyway. Wow. Go for it. Okay. No, no, there's not anyone who sings happy birthday in tune. Just well, no, no, no. I know that. So, including uh, we did Marilyn that the opera Monroe. a couple times. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Best rendition of a happy birthday. Two times in a row. <laughs> well, you realize that singing it's illegal, right? No, not That's, anymore. Not anymore. Not, not anymore. Oh, because it's, it's, it's rolled fi- over. Finally come into the public domain. Gotcha. Yeah. Alrighty then. Yeah. So Yeah, there was a huge controversy about that and everybody thinking that woman was such a giant bitch. But no, <laughs> no, it's in the public domain now. So Well, you know, a lot of restaurants <laughs> have their own version because they weren't supposed to sing it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No longer necessary. Yay. So. Alrighty then. So anyway, our next story is wishing a happy 45th birthday to the AMSAT Oscar 7. At 1711 UTC on November 15th, 1974, a Delta 2310 rocket lifted off from SLC-2W at Vandenberg Air Force Base, sending AO-7 into orbit along with NOAA-4 and Intostat. After nearly seven years of service, AO-7 was thought to have reached the end of life in June 1981 due to battery failure. Though it was thought to be lost in 81, there are reports that the Polish Solidarity Movement used AO-7 to pass messages in 82 while Poland was under martial law. 20 years later, on June 21, 2002, G3IOR reported that he heard an old-style CW beacon from an unknown Oscar satellite near 145-970. This was soon identified as AMSAT Oscar 7. Despite some pre-launch predictions that the CMOS logic circuits on board wouldn't last three weeks, AO7 remains operational and well-used while in sunlight. It's the oldest operational satellite at any service in orbit. To celebrate AO7's 45th birthday, AMSAT will auction off a set of gold-plated AO7 cufflinks and a 50th anniversary AMSAT lab coat, size 42R, next week. Check out a- AMSAT BB or AMSAT social media pages for details on Monday morning. Woot, woot, woot. That would, that would have been this morning, but yeah, <laughs> they, they should still be there. They're not giving them away till next week. So yeah, there you go. All right. Very good. Satellite supposed to only operate for three years. Now it's 45. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. there's some satellite companies wish they could uh, get that kind of longevity. Yeah. But of course, this thing only works in the daylight. <laughs> Right, because it's using the solar panels in the daylight because the batteries are long dead, presumably. So, oh yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So moving on, we have uh, WRC still. <laughs> it's grinding yeah. into its third week with just three and a half days left for the substantive work. Delegates at World Radio Communication Conference 2019 WRC 19 face a daunting workload as the conference tries. Oh well, the conference conferees. Try to reach consensus on several remaining issues, including the agenda for next WRC. They're dragging this one on only to talk about the next one. <laughs> um, the final session of the conference plenary to approve text for inclusion in the final acts of the conference is set to wrap up at noon on Thursday, November 21. No agreement has been reached on protecting services and telemetry for short duration satellites. 5275 to 5850 megahertz is in unresolved conflict with wireless access systems. Frequencies above 275 gigahertz are identified for receive-only use, and administrators are encouraged to protect them from harmful interference. And certain bands above 275 gigahertz are being considered for implementation of land, mobile, and fixed service applications, amateur radio included. The compromise agreement on Region 1 6-meter operations survived review at the working group and committee levels and awaits approval in the General Conference Assembly later this week. 
On the RSGB site, there's a frequent wrap-up of what's been going on day-to-day. And if one knows the issues and is focusing on the bullet points, head over to the CEPT status board, where the conference and decision status of each item is shown. There you go. Lots of stuff going on at WRC19. Kind of boring, though. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing terribly exciting. I think the the biggest... uh, uh, whiny thing is, uh, is about the, uh, <clears throat> possibly doing downlinks on one, 137 megahertz, uh, just because of the congestion in, uh, the two meter space and, and obviously 70 centimeter space and all these, uh, you know, short term satellites that are going up and, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're just not up there very long because they're little CubeSats. Short term <laughs> satellites like, like uh, AO7. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be like AO7 <laughs> have a CubeSat up there for, you know, a million years. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're really concerned by, by, you know, all the frequency collision and stuff like that. You know, just, just imagine all the, all the repeaters they're putting in the air that, uh, are all on the same downlinks and uplinks and stuff like that. And if there's not enough care and control between all the different places launching these things, um, it does make it uh, a bit hectic to, uh, know which satellite you're actually on <laughs> yeah all right well lots of stuff being decided on there or hammered out or discussed or whatever and of course there will be another uh wrc after this one to hammer 23 i think is the next one yeah every four years i believe <clears throat> just like the olympics it's the amateur radio yes. olympics <clears throat> it or is. radio frequency olympics i guess <laughs> and like any meeting they spend a lot of time talking about the next meeting so there you go yeah, absolutely <laughs> Pro- probably over many cocktails yeah, and this brings us on to the next topic, which is <laughs> nominations invited for a CW Ops Award for advancing the art of CW. There you go. Uh, the purpose of this award is to recognize individuals, groups, and organizations that have made the greatest contributions toward advancing the art or practice of radio of radio communications by Morse code. The award was first presented in 2016 and has been given to six CW operators and two organizations for their contributions. Candidates for the award may be authors of publications, recruiters, trainers, mentors, advocates, organizers, inventors, designers, or other contributors to the art and practice of CW. The award is not limited to <coughs> amateur radio operators and organizations. Nominations may be made by anybody uh, and should be emailed to awards at cwops.org with a copy to secretary at cwops.org. In order to be considered, a nomination must be received by the publicized deadline of March 18th, 2020. So you got a little bit of time and include the nominee's name, call sign, if applicable, and complete contact information, email, postal address, and telephone. A detailed explanation supporting the nominee's qualifications under the criteria and nominator's complete information must also be included. And I believe they give this uh, award out at Dayton, so, or Hambenchen. I should say, not Dayton. <laughs> Invention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, yeah. So this is kind of a, a cool award. And to earn it, you've got to be recognized by your peers. So I, I believe, I believe K2BSA actually won that one once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Just, not sure. I I how, how far are we? About 13 minutes? That's okay. yeah, yeah. 13 minutes. Get the time code on that. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to look now. I'm, I'm almost wondering. <laughs> I remember somebody mentioning a few years back because of the uh, Morse code interpreter strip was uh, was added as a uh, earnable um, um, language badge for the scouts. So I think that came up, but I could be wrong. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out because you're going to be Googling it, I'm sure, just to make sure you can uh, yeah, mention yeah. it one more time before we're done. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So there you go. So, yeah, that's well, while uh, you're doing CWS. that, I'm going to make you uh, 
read the next one. So you can't Google it. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, we're into our open source segments. And uh, here's a flash topic. So I'll go ahead and read this. This is a uh, Gitea. Uh, 1.10.0 is released or 1.10.0. It's time for another major release. We are proud to present Gitea 1.10.0 to the world. It's in this release. We've merged 322 pull requests. The list includes 97 features and enhancements and more than 150 bug fixes and documentation improvements. You can download uh, one of our pre-built binaries from our downloads page. Make sure to the, to select a correct platform. For further details on how to install, follow our installation guide. And as a side note, I, I, I've heard uh, that uh, the Docker image is the highly recommended uh, path to doing it. <laughs> but it is possible to uh, get it installed. And basically, Gitea is a is a is an open source version of of GitHub. I, I I'm assuming. I think. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, yeah, it's the open source version of uh, of being able to store your own repositories and stuff like that. So, uh, so if you're running Raspbian and you're having problems getting started with Gitea, please check out Raspberry Pi Linux issue number 323271 for a possible fix. Unfortunately, there is still no ARM v7 build, but uh, using ARM v6 has worked for many users. So please try that in the meantime. Several improvements have been made to the repository indexer. Please expect temporary, temporary increased resource usage the first time you start Gitea after upgrading as it rebuilds the indexes. Please note that uh, Go 1.13 is now required for building the project. <clears throat> we would like to give a special thanks to uh, Ilya Pavlov, Pavlov, yeah, Pavlov, uh, for reporting the security issue that has been patched in this release. We'd like to thank all our backers in Open on Open Collective who are helping us deliver a better piece of software. And uh, yeah, that uh, came from one of the news releases I picked up probably on uh, Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting to have your own self-hosted uh get clearinghouse i guess i assume that just has the overlays i mean because i have self-hosted git projects that have nothing to do with github that don't require a project like gitea but yeah i assume it creates the the searchable index and the probably forms and bug tracker and that sort of thing so yeah so it looks just like github when you, uh, when you launch it up. <laughs> Is <so>. GitHub open source? <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, you can self-host GitHub. No, you can't self-host it, but is it is it open source? I mean, I'm just wondering if they actually took GitHub's code to make Gitea, or if they actually did a roundup rebuild. I don't know. I didn't do enough research on it to answer that question. But, um, yeah, if you want to run your own local GitHub where you store all your repositories so you can have a little browser-based interface to all your repos, there you go. Yep. There you go. I just I use uh, I use Git and it's it's standard form with standard repositories and then use GitWeb because GitWeb has a you know minimalist um, access to your Git repos. It allows you to see like your your diff trees and your commit history and such like. I mean, it's not super robust, but it's also in the Debian repos. So, <laughs> and you don't have to run Docker or any of that crap either. Yeah. And it's not written in Go, so maybe it's just a lot better. I don't know. There you go. Okay, so the CW Ops Award was given to the Boy Scouts of America. There you go. I knew it had something to do with BSA. (laughs) Damn it. You still got the chance to look at it. I got it in. I got it in there. It did take me a few seconds to kind of find their page. (laughs) That's kind of buried. You guys should put that on the front page. And, you know, here's our previous recipients instead of having to dig through 20 links to get to it. Okay, so there's there's two stories in the open source left. One involves... um India and Indian names, 
and one doesn't. So which one do you want to do? <laughs> uh, the one that doesn't. Uh, of course. <laughs> All right. So I'll read the one that has the Indian names so I can butcher them instead of you. Yay. Or whoever reads them because, you know, none of us are of Indian descent that I'm aware of. Uh, so anyway, this came from the Hindu. So it's a, an Indian um, periodical. I assume it's an electronic periodical. But anyway. The title of it is Hammer Operators Were Pioneers of Social Networking. This doesn't really have much to do with the, uh, the article, but... <laughs> uh, amateur radio operators are coming together with a common agenda of seeking a greater role during emergencies. In Andhra Pradesh, there are about a 1,000 hams, but not all of them are active. For the first time, the Academy of Ham Radio in the city, in coordination with a group of amateur radio operators, planned a Karthika Sarma... Okay. Karthika Samaradhana? Karthika Samaradhana? Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, a bunch of letters put together. At a farmhouse on the banks of River Krishna in the suburbs. Ashar Farhan, a longtime radio ham and founder of Lama Khan, a cultural center in Hyderabad, <laughs> will be one of the star participants. Last year, New York-based international magazine CQ Amateur Radio included Ashar's name along with 11 others to its 2018 Hall of Fame, and the former is the only living Indian on the list. Ashar has designed an affordable open-source kit for a radio transceiver known as the BitX, and his work has received worldwide appreciation. As it should. Yes, we've talked about BitX before on the show. I just don't remember when. Um, But apparently they're going to do some more work on uh, getting hams involved in um emergency communications in india so that's what this was all about i'm not sure how that really had anything to do with social networking the the article was much longer so if you want to read the whole thing it is translated into english luckily so (laughs) um but yeah the the bit here was about about ashar and the bit x and his contributions to amateur radio and open hardware and things like that so there you go so good on you ashar yeah uh and the group that's performing or planning a Karthika Samaradana. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway. Okay. If I say it wrong enough, it'll sound right. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway, links to both uh, additional information on the BidX and the story from the Hindu will be in the show notes. And okay. so now I'll let you do the easy one. Alrighty then. <laughs> I'm going to do the easy one. So the next story is NHS pagers are leaking medical data. An amateur radio rig exposed to the Internet and discovered by a security researcher was collecting real-time medical data and health information broadcast by hospitals and ambulances across UK towns and cities. The rig, operated out of a house in North London, was picking up radio waves from over the air and translating it into readable text. The hobbyist's computer display was filling up with messages about real-time medical emergencies from across the region. For some reason, the hobbyist had set up an Internet-connected webcam pointed at the display but because there was no password on the webcam anyone who knew where to look could also see what the rigs could also see what was on the rigs computer display for years one of the largest barriers to intercepting and decoding paper paper mess let me try that again for years one of the largest barriers to intercepting and decoding pager messages with the advent of software-defined radios most hobbyists can get and buy with a 20 dollars plug-in dongle and an antenna the NHS still uses about 130,000 pagers, according to the UK government's latest count, 
are about 10% of the world's current pagers in use. But the NHS has been told to stop using pagers altogether by 2021. It's not clear how many trusts are exposing medical information, if at all. According to NHS spokesperson Oliver Michelson, each NHS organization is responsible for its own IT equipment and security. And this came from TechCrunch. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And it also mentioned software defined radio. So we could slip it in there as a open source topic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those pages are all easily decodable. Yeah. <laughs> Have been for years. <laughs> yeah, not, not a lot of encryption going on there. And it's surprising how many of them are still in use in the UK, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. They're, they're, they're all over the place still in, you know, smaller hospitals and stuff like that. It's just easier to blast thought- that signal everywhere. Aren't pagers like in the unlicensed band sometimes they're like 900 meg or something like that? Um, I, I'm not sure. I know they used to all be in the, you know, the two meter area. <clears throat> yeah. It doesn't matter. Of course it could be different in the UK anyway. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I don't know, but we're going to move on from that. We're going to talk about our uh, Linux in the Hamshack single topic for the evening. And that is uh, something that was mentioned either last episode or the one before that. And that is grid tracker, which is a software application that links to WSJTX and provides you a bunch of additional information. So we'll let uh, Bill run down, you know, the details here, and then we'll both talk about it because we both used it a bit. Okay. So yeah, grid tracker is a companion program from WSJTX. It's uh, like JT alert or. JT alarm. JT alarm. <laughs> Displayed on a large second monitor in your amateur radio club ham fest or as a demonstration in the classroom. Or you can just use it as a regular ham on your second monitor if you have it. Or your first monitor. It's okay. We don't care if you have more than one monitor. Or <laughs> you could use it on a second desktop to even, yeah, although that would be yeah. kind of pointless. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you technically could. <laughs> you can point at the IP, the UDP thing. But anyway, uh, yeah, so it features uh, real-time traffic decoding to a world map, which is kind of slick, uh, audio-visual text-to-speech alerts on call sign DXCC, CQ designator grid, and more. It has an ADEF uh, log parser, has a QSO log reporting and uploading, uh, qrz.com, hamqth, call look, and cqrzcq.com, call sign lookups, band and mode filtering, complete DXCC country call sign prefix recognition, band activity from PSK reporter, uh, maidenhead four and six wide views, CQ and ITU zone parsing from QSOs, worked all continents and worked all states parsing, contest map overlays, 100% offline mode available for field day use, and so UDP multicast message support and UDP message forwarding, uh, state, province, locality information, decode history, charting for propagation and radio performance. It has built-in support for log 4OM and uh, N1MM plus for uh, local logging support. Uh, active development with you in mind. Tell us what you'd like to see. They have builds on their website for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, and Raspberry Pi. And the, the only license information I could find is in the AUR package, <laughs> in which this is propagated out for Arch users. And it's listed as the unlicensed license because there is no source code available. Interesting. So how did I install it? I guess I just had the binary. I must have. Yeah, they have tar zips on there with the binaries for Linux and Raspberry Pi. Well, and you uh, must- <clears throat> yeah, that must have been how I did it. But there was something about auto starting it was there something about auto starting it or putting it i i did something else where i actually included it in my uh desktop a uh, desktop launcher or something yeah they have uh, desktop uh shortcuts for it but you can also trigger it to launch when wsjtx comes up Ooh, i didn't i didn't see that i, find I that. think you can do that in wsjtx that's in the configuration somewhere 
I think it has the ability to launch something with it as soon as it's up. I, I could be wrong. I could be thinking of something completely different, but I'm almost certain that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to look for that because that sounds like a useful thing. Um, yeah. Cause you wouldn't need it if you don't have the other running. So. Right. Right. So, so I've used it a little bit, although I find some of it kind of confusing. Um, the, the biggest thing I found confusing is like what the spots are because it seems like, it seemed like when I was using it, if I turned the PSK reporter, you know, if I click the PSK reporter button to where it was in what I believe is on, <laughs> uh, which is like colored in, um, all my spots went away. And when I turned it off, there were a bunch of spots, but I'm not sure what the spots were. It's not stuff I was working. I don't, and it can't be decoding like every band. Um, so I'm not sure what those, the little flags were. I know when I, I was operating, like if I was in a, in a QSO on FT8, for example, it would show, like it would draw a great circle line, um, between me and the distant station, wherever it was, it would show sort of like the propagation path of that transmission, uh, with like a dashed line. And that was kind of neat, but. I found the interface a little bit confusing. So what, what have you done with it? Um, besides just basically setting up and kind of clicking through some of the configuration items, I haven't really gotten far because I'm still, uh, uh, not plugged into an antenna. So I can't really decode anything, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was just trying to see, uh, you know, basically how to do the, the, the minimal configuration. And, uh, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of slick. So once you set up your UDP server set up on the, uh, WSJTX, um, it instantly grabs all that information and it knows your call sign, your, your grid square, and it puts a dot on the map for you. So some of the, some of the dead simple stuff is, is going to, it's going to learn it from the connection and knows what band you're on, everything else. Um, the UI is, uh, um, hmm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> yes. Intuitive does not come to mind as no. a way to describe it, but it does have a lot of configurability from what it looks like. Um, I'm going to have to spend more time in it to obviously get to know it a little bit better, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not something that I, I think you could probably just minimally get to work just by just turning it on and, and running with it. And then you can just try to figure out from there. There are, is some documentation online that appears to be um, complete. So uh, if you, if you want to get into some of the advanced features and whatnot, definitely download that PDF and take a look through it. And uh, you know, you can get everything more customized for your particular setup but i think most people use it for just the generic uh you know give me something better than you know green light red light purple light that uh, wsjtx gives you and i didn't look to see if it had any type of um uh, interactivity with uh, like cqr log and stuff like that i doubt it does so i'm wondering if you have to kind of play a little adif back and forth to uh to get it kind of seated with your already work stuff or not um I'm sure somebody will correct me on that, but <laughs> I didn't see anything right away that kind of popped out um, through, uh, you know, zipping through all the configuration stuff. Have you seen uh, anything? Nothing that integrates with a logger. I did see the ADIF, like importer and exporter, yeah. or maybe it was only importer. I'm not even sure it was export, but yeah, yeah, that's not too uncommon, I guess. I, I remember like when JT Alert was early on even with like dx keeper and stuff like that you had to kind of seed it you had to go read the log and stuff like that and then it would you'd have to kind of keep everything synced up from that point and it would uh you know every time you're on it already knew what the new stuff you were getting since it passed all the log information but it needed to 
kind of read that log to kind of get seated with your, your already workstations and work bands and stuff like that. So expect to have to do a little exporting. And, uh, once you have that, then uh, you probably should keep up to date with your, with your log as long as you continue to use it. Yeah. I'm just going to have to check those spots that are, that are on the map when I load it because I did, I did do an ADIF import and I know I have like 300 QSOs logged from that ADIF file. It just seemed like some of them were things I had never worked. And I'm pretty sure I logged that or I loaded that same information into cloud log. And when I search for some of those call signs that show up in, in, uh, in the application grid tracker, it, they don't show up in the log. So hmm. I'm not sure where they're coming from. And it also doesn't really track grids until you kind of drill down a ways. Usually I keep the thing kind of zoomed out because I want to see like where my current contact is going. And especially if it's like, if I'm here and I'm contacting like Japan or something, you have to have it zoomed out pretty far to see both ends. Um, so I haven't seen a lot of actual grid tracking in grid tracker, but obviously I'm going to have to do some more work with it, play around with a little more. And yeah, Yeah. the interface is weird. It's kind of, to me, I think I said this before, it has like a windows three, one, one vibe to it. Kind of yeah, like kind of go sort that. of a an- antiquated icon looking thing, <laughs> maybe maybe Windows ninety five, like an old Windows game interface or something. Yeah, like yeah, that, you know, kind of iconified settings, clicking buttons and stuff. Yeah, it's not like a not a normal UI framework that was used, but hey, it works. It's cross platform, so uh, <laughs> and it, it is <laughs> really network capable, so you can actually have it on a separate machine, which is kind of nice. It uses a UDP connection, so. Yeah, and I'm running uh, both WSJTX and that all on the Raspberry Pi four, and it it appears to be running fine. I think I have a I have a web SDR also open up, so it hasn't gone thermal yet. <laughs> oh, excellent! The only thing I found useless was you can like you can turn on gray line if you want, which is you know that's useful if you're tracking the gray line. Um, but you can also turn on the moon, like you can show where the moon is. <laughs> but, EME. Yeah, but when you do that, it just covers up about 30% of the map with the moon. <laughs> that's, that's big. That's all, yeah. It's <laughs> huge. It it's is huge. huge. Moon. <laughs> that's a full moon, baby. So I didn't <clears throat> find that particularly useful. Plus, I don't do any EME, but you know, for, for many reasons, I found that useless. Um, but yeah, it's obviously going to require just a little more playing around with to kind of work out what some of the things are. And I'm presuming my issue with PSK Reporter is that I, I think it's supposed to, if I have that turned off, it's supposed to be showing, you know, what's in my log. And when you have it turned on, it'll be showing spots from PSK reporter, but it doesn't seem to be working that way. And I don't know if that's just me or the application. We'll see. Hmm. Interesting. So anyway, well, expect some further details to come out on this as we uh, dig into right. a little bit more. And I'll maybe, maybe we'll do a deep dive on grid tracker or something. Who knows? Grid tracker. <laughs> Or maybe we'll just awesome. do a deep dive on like uh, all WSJTX integrations, like like JT Alarm and Alarm JT. <laughs> or yeah, JT, yeah, it's JT Alert. It's JT Alert and Alarm, and alarm JT. JT. Yeah. yeah. So just to get those right. So the package maintainers and the developers don't come beat us up. <laughs> um, anyway, with that, we have actually arrived at the bottom of our topic list, which means we have arrived at the social media roundup. So we're going to have Cheryl announce to everybody those folks who support our program and those who have joined us on social media networks. 
So to start everything out, we're going to run down through our Patreons, which is Andy Webster, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, David Jakeway, Donald Gover, Douglas Redder, Erno Castalos, Herb Garcia, John Spriggs, Peter Caffrey, Paul Griffith, Randolph Smith, Robert Pitt, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Saner, Stephen Harp, and William Heckelman. Sorry, itchy nose, incoming, incoming sneeze, apparently. <clears throat> Uh, our next round is for subscriptions, which is Randolph Smith, Robert Halliday, James Lewis, Fred Cole, Michael Burdak, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ike, Michael Connolly, Steve Biella, Jim McKenzie, Charlie Brown, Dylan Angle, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, Robert Yerke, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Thor Wiegman, Todd Bowers, Kevin Ivey, John Clark, Bill Collins, Jeff Zimmerman, Tony Coberly, Robert, or excuse me, Roger Pereira, Jeffrey Boris, Michael Carey, Steve Hepler, and Michael Jopling. On Facebook, we had Juan Pablo Daniel Borgna. On Twitter, we had at Jerry Adkins, F at um, FS Array Arador. Yeah, that's butchered, I'm sure. At K4WPX, at 7th Gen Sodak, and at Ham underscore Gretzky. On YouTube, we had Stephen Young, Linux Geek. Literal 1966, Mike Payne, Jeep Trent, and Jay Ada. On the mailing list, we had WZ's WD0AJG, and there were no merchandise sales. All right, very good. And I'm pretty sure neither of them listened to this, but while we were um, <clears throat> awaiting the train, uh, we talked to a couple of folks on uh, two meters, one simplex and one repeater, and we talked to uh, Jim K5LAD. And we talked to Jeff, WD0GTK, and uh, had a good time talking to them about trains and uh, you know, the, the imminent approach yeah. of the big boy. So just want to acknowledge them. Thanks for the QSOs. We didn't do a lot of, uh, or I, know, I don't do a lot of VHF simplex work, so it's kind of nice to actually do that for a change. And uh, with that, I think we have come down to the end, so we should probably acknowledge the folks who uh, showed up early in the chat room tonight since we're recording this a little bit early. We had J David J Jakeway. <laughs> Jakeway, yes. <laughs> don't, 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 <laughs> don't, say yeah, don't, don't say it wrong now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we also have uh, KC3LZY. Um, I know Don KC9ZMY was in there for a little bit, but he said he couldn't actually hang out for the show, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, and, and Dave Jakeway is uh, KC3LZY, so to uh, clear that up, I think. <laughs> um, Steve KD0IJB was also in there, and we also had Crazy Radio Guy, whoever that might be. It's a mystery. Maybe we'll find out soon. Who knows? But with that, we are going to wrap up this episode, which has been number 311 of Linux in the Hamshack. So we hope you'll tune in next time for The Weekender. Uh, and in the meantime, have yourselves a great week. This is Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, an E4RD73. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Shack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.